Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. A couple of years ago, right about this time, there's something that happens every year right about uh, this time when the weather gets cool. What I love to do, tell me if you're the same. One of the things I love to do is go get in the grass, stand in the grass with no shoes on, right? You just stand in the cold grass. And even better than that, you, that's, that's fine by itself, all right? But even better than that is to play catch. And uh, I don't care if it's a football or a baseball, um, softball, something like that. I just really, I just love it. It's, what, it's, it's the time to do it, right? And so um, a couple years ago here in Arkansas, we were out front in the front yard and Jackie and I were playing catch. And uh, we're, we're throwing softball back and forth. And I don't know if you remember this or know this even, but Jackie pitched um, softball uh, all of her life. You know, she as a, as a little girl and in a travel league, and then she actually pitched in college for UT Dallas. And so while we're out there playing catch, I decide, I was like, hey, pitch it to me, right? And she's like, no, I don't know, you know. And I was like, no, come on, pitch it, pitch it, you know. She tried to play it off like, I haven't done that in a while, you know, I don't want. But really what she was saying is, you can't handle this, you know. And so I was like, I can do it. I can do it. I, I bet you I can do it. You know, I'm a full grown man. And so um, she's like, no, you know. And if, you, if you've never watched softball before, you really should. Softball's probably way more fun than baseball uh, to watch, but that's my opinion. And, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, the way they pitch is they wind up back like this and then it just like fires out of here. And sometimes they will slap their leg. It sounds like a gunshot, right? And so they shoot this, this softball at you. And so I was like, pitch it to me. And she's like, no, I don't know. And so finally, after I begged for a little while, she's like, okay, I'm gonna do it, right? And I'm here to tell you that ball comes at you way faster and way harder than you think it is going to, right? And if you've ever seen a softball, softballs are not soft at all. They're not soft. And so she pitched that and she didn't even do it like real, right? She didn't do like the huge long step or anything like, she was like a little like boom. And that came at me so fast, scared me a little bit. I think I, I uh, whimpered a little bit, but uh, the boys really enjoyed it. I'll tell you this, I caught it just fine. I caught it. I don't ever want to do that again, but I, but I caught it, right? Softballs are hard and they come at you fast. It's kind of like uh, life, right? Life will come at you like that. You know, one day your biggest concern with school or education, your, your biggest concern is nap time, right? Who are you gonna play with at recess? And then next day you look up and you, you have a 125 page doctoral thesis that you have to turn in, right? That's, that's life and it comes at you super fast like that family, family expenses, leading a family, all that. I remember when we were first, uh, you know, married, somebody gave us a Target gift card. It was like 50 bucks. And I thought to myself, how will we ever spend all of this money? So much money. Well, we could live on this for the rest of our lives, you know, 50 bucks. Not too long ago, um, gas cost me more than 50 bucks. I almost sold my truck, you know, this is, life happens super fast. Your career takes off, you get a degree, you get your training in, you get your certification and you're just want a shot. That's it. If somebody would just give me a shot, I'll be happy the rest of my life. Maybe a little nameplate on my desk or my name on my, on my work shirt, something like that. I'm gonna be set. You turn around, you look up and you're planning career moves. Like, is there forward movement in this job? Should I transfer all this sort of stuff? Life will come at you super fast. Sickness, you're healthy, you're fine, all that. And then one morning you wake up and yawn wrong and you pull a muscle. I'm, 
I've, I'm not saying that that has happened to me. I'm saying that that has definitely happened to me. Sickness, depression, if you're like me, you're fine. Have a conversation, all of a sudden you're not. I can't, think, uh, I can't help but think that I'm, the, I'm not the only person who, you know, in the morning you got your coffee, you're, you're going through the news app or you're watching the news and you think to yourself, man, everything is broken. Everything, everybody is broken. Like nature hates us, government hates us, we hate government. Everybody's like trying to kill each other. You know, like you just feel really down. And then of course, there's just the consequences of the, uh, of, of the mistakes that you've made. You did something you knew you shouldn't have done or you didn't know until it was too late, you know, and then you start to deal with the consequences. And now you gotta, you gotta, you gotta handle it. You gotta fix it. You gotta just live with it. That's how life feels, right? Good and bad things. They just fly at you like a gunshot, like a, like a softball being pitched at you. It comes at you hard. It comes at you fast. And I fully believe that all of you can catch any one thing that comes at you. Any one thing, you know, this next week, most everything goes good, but one thing messes up or this next thing, everything's going bad, but one thing comes at you nice and you can catch it. It's just when it all comes at you so fast. You know what I'm talking about? When it's thing after thing after thing, any one of them's not a problem, but all of them really gets you, really knocks you down. It feels bad. And what happens more times than not is there's so much coming at me, so much on your plate, so much in your agenda, so much at work and home and family, you can't catch a break that you end up dropping things that matter and catching things that don't. And how do you, how do you tell the difference? The story of Jonah, what we're looking at today is, uh, it's super familiar. You know the story, right? Prophet of God gets swallowed by a fish. And that's pretty much the part you know, right? That, and it's a good story. I like that story. That's one of the best ones in the Bible. But as I was reading it, there was this theme in chapters one and two, this theme that came out that I've never noticed before. And I chose that to sort of package our text this morning. And so if you're watching online, we're so glad that you are here. If you're in the room, focus in on verse four. Verse four begins this way. And the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. Your text may even say the Lord hurled. He threw, he hurled a great wind onto the sea. The theme that I think that we could go with is throw, throw. And uh, like I said, life things, God throws things at you. It's, it's in the rest of the text too. Not only does he throw a great wind at him, a little bit later they're going to, what's called cast lots. They throw these sticks down and, and to determine who it is. They start throwing things off the side of the ship. They eventually throw Jonah off the side of the ship. And then eventually the fish throws Jonah up onto the shore. A lot of throwing going on here and various different uses of the word. And so that's the way that we're going to package this. And it really leads me to this question. Here's the question. Here's what we're going to talk about. What ought we to do with what God throws at us? Good and bad. What should we do? How should we react to what it is that God throws at us? Let's, let's pray together. And you pray for me, I'll pray for you, and then we'll, we'll unpack the text a little bit. God, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story here. I pray that we would open our minds and our hearts to the open text. And that we would leave here today challenged, uh, challenged in the way that we see other people and who we believe we are, who the bad guys are and how we ought to relate to them, God. Challenged to follow the mission and the purpose that you've created us for, to let loose of those things that keep us from it. And God, to see the storms in our lives as uh, tools, circumstances that you use to make us more and more like you. God, we pray all of this as one family
Amen. We're going to focus in on chapters 1 and 2, and I'm just going to tell you the story instead of reading it all to you. It's pretty simple. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, tells him to go, get up, go to Nineveh and preach against that great city. Tell them that they're horrible people. Jonah doesn't want to do this. He hates the idea. And primarily he hates the idea because he hates those people. And so he gets in a boat, goes the opposite direction. Nineveh's that way. He's headed towards Tarshish. And he's going to go off in this direction. During that time, verse four happens. God throws a big wind against the sea and there's, uh, you know, there's all kinds of um, storm going on. It really scares the sailors, the mariners there. And, and so they start throwing things overboard. They're praying, they're, they're chatting, they're talking. There's a lot of conversation going on in the middle of this very violent storm. And eventually they decide to throw Jonah overboard. Jonah uh, lands in the water. A big fish comes along, swallows him up. Chapter two is mostly Jonah praying, a summary of his prayer. And chapter two ends where we all know it will end with Jonah being thrown up on the shore. And then he eventually goes off to Nineveh in chapters three and four. In fact, four is the best part of the little four part uh, story. So you really wanna make sure that you're back here next week to pick up three and four. A lot more to the story, but we will get to that next week. What is it, first of all, that God throws at Jonah? Sticking with our theme of throwing here, what is it that God throws to Jonah? Well, I think it's a good thing. And what we can see is in verse one and two, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. What we see God give to Jonah or throw at him or toss on him, put on his plate is a, is a mission, is a purpose. This is what you are created for. This is what we know Jonah for, right? That he would go and preach to Nineveh. It's actually interesting that this is completely consistent with all the other times that God speaks to people. Y'all remember this? Uh, Moses and a burning bush. He tells Moses, hey, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. At one point, God tells a prophet to go down to Bethlehem and uh, make another king. You know, we're going we're gonna to pick a new king. A little bit later, a different prophet is told to go and tell David, that king, as he grows up, tell him that, uh, you know, that he messed up, that he sinned. All the way, over and over and over, God is telling people to go and tell them. Go and tell them. When we get to Jesus, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus tells the disciples, look, all authority's been given to me. God told me to tell y'all what to do. And what he told me to tell y'all is this, go and tell all of the people about Jesus. It is the very same mission that we have, the same mission that Jonah had, this mission, this purpose, the reason that we are created, the reason that we exist is to glorify God for the good of others by telling them the message of Jesus. Now, or in Jonah's case, the message of Yahweh. And it's really fascinating to me that Jonah's going to fight this. He says, preach against it because their evil has come up before me. This is not a good message. This is a bad message. And Jonah hates the Assyrians. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he hates the message. Why does he fight this? You would think this is the sort of message that he wants to deliver to them. It's like if you have multiple young children, you know, and let's say one of them's like back in their room or upstairs or something like that. And they're making a ton of noise. It sounds like they're breaking something, right? And they're obviously in trouble. They're doing something wrong. And you tell the younger one, you say, hey, go get your brother. They love to deliver that message. It is their life. They do it with a smile. They do nothing else you tell them to do immediately except for that. It's going to walk up there. Hey, dad wants you, you know, just like that. That sort of message, you think that this is what he's going to deliver, but Jonah knows about God what we all should know 
about God is that God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious God. So even when the message of you are evil comes to them, Jonah's heart is much different than God's heart because Jonah's mission is to a people that he hates. God's mission is much more rooted in God's compassion than it is in our animosity. God's mission is much more about his compassion than it is about our hatred. Speaking of hatred, these people, the city of Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. And as you know, because we went through kings, the northern kingdom is about to fall to the Assyrians. And they are wicked people, really, really violent people, especially in battle, all right? They did all sorts of gross and demeaning and dehumanizing sort of things, the sort of things that we would call war crimes. They had no problem with war crimes. In fact, it was their specialty. They enjoyed what we would call war crimes. And so in a manner of speaking, if we were all real honest with ourselves, Jonah has a legitimate hate of these people. He's actually somewhat justified in hating the Assyrians. But that doesn't matter when it comes to the mission. Let me ask you this question. Realizing that we all have the same mission that Jonah had, let me ask you, who are the people that you hate? Who are the people that you hate? Now, I would venture to guess that none of you, like, like probably your first reaction is, I don't hate anybody. Like, there's no, I, I think maybe like, maybe if we were honest, right? I'm just talking this out loud. We'll go with me, all right? Maybe if we're honest, you were like, I can think of one or two people I loathe, but not like a whole group of people, you know, like not this group of people or that group of people, but let's really think about it. Have you ever thought to yourself that, well, those people, they are the worst. You can't stand those people, right? Like whatever it is. And we see it creep up a lot in our different uh, settings, a lot in our different world. I think that when it comes to politics, this happens. That, well, their agenda, their purpose, whoever the, they are, they, you know, they, uh, you know, they just want the government to give them handouts or they're just a bunch of ignorant rednecks or whatever the they is. I hate those people. I can't stand them. I want to work against them. You know where else we see this? In sports, in fandoms, right? Where we get so worked up as people, where we spend our Saturdays hating people we have never met, all based in the reality of 18-year-olds playing a game on a field that you've never even stepped on. But we hate those sort of people. I, I, I love football. I despise what it has become as a football fan, as a fan of this sport, where we will literally, I've seen people, good Christian people. I see all social media. I've seen people who would say things about another person, use words that they would never speak in front of their mothers, wear t-shirts with words on them that they would never wear to church, all based on a game. And we are not only justified in it, we celebrate it. We encourage it, we love it. You are right, we raise our children to hate their children, right? Because it is very true, it is very clear that Baptist is the second most popular religion in the South, football is the number one religion. And we will almost about kill about it, right? 
And that's not good. It's not good. We ought to just cheer for our teams and enjoy the camaraderie and the competition and and that sort of stuff. But what we are so justified in politics and in sports and in ideologies and whatever it comes about, whenever we have two sides of the things, our culture is now defined not by what it is that I stand for or who it is that I want to defend. It is who I do not want to be and who it is that I hate. We are much more aware of what we don't like than what it is that we stand for and what we actually believe. And we need to really adjust that. Jonah is really caught in this space in which he is a prophet of God and will not deliver God's message to a group of people. Why? Because he hates them. And catch this, he is much more justified in hating them than you are of whatever the other group of it is that you just can't stand. The people he couldn't stand killed people in his nation. And so he's justified. But all the time I hear people say, oh, you don't know. You don't understand. If you knew what their agenda was, if you knew what the, oh, I used to live over in such and such. And if you knew these people, you'd hate them too. I don't, I don't believe that we should be that way, right? So the first thing that God throws at Jonah is this mission and this purpose. But Jonah is so hung up on his own hate, his own inflated view of himself and his own hatred towards other people. That's what gets thrown at him. And I'm using this language of throwing just thematically. But what happens is the word of the Yahweh comes to Jonah and he feels uh, like a lot because it challenges who he is, the bad guys and who the good guys are and how they're going to interact with each other. But there's this other thing. If you get down to verse four, again, like we talked about earlier, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. Now, throughout Christianity, the idea of storms has become to symbolize uh, times in our lives that are overwhelming. They, they cause us to uh, not know what we are doing. There's an often quoted idea, and you've heard this before, right? You are either in a storm, or you're going into a storm, or you just came out of a storm, right? That's a preacher thing. And so if you've never heard that before, I, just, I have to pass that on. It's part of my job, all right? And so that's a, that's a saying that we've all said forever. But for Jonah, this is a literal storm. Wind and waves, rain, lightning, thunder, very, very frightening. All of that is going on with Jonah. And the storm serves to remind Jonah of what he already knew. Two things. God is present and God is powerful. A lot is made in this story about um, Tarshish or the, the direction that Jonah was headed. A lot, of, a lot is made in this story about the direction that Jonah is headed as being opposite the direction of Nineveh. Like Jonah was running from Nineveh. But, but read the story again. It's not, that's, that's not what he was running from. Look in verse 3. Verse 3 starts and ends with the same idea. Jonah got up and, and to flee Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Look at the, the end there. He, got, he went with them from the Lord's presence. God, uh, Jonah's not fleeing from Nineveh. Jonah is fleeing from God. God has convicted him. God has called him to do something. And so he is running from that. Sadly, we do the exact same thing. Now you don't get in a boat or drive your car, run away from God. But I've seen people, a topic comes up in church or a topic comes up in small group and they start, they start missing small group. I'm not gonna hang out with those people anymore. And you don't really know why, but deep down it's this conviction that God has placed on their heart 
Sometimes things happen in relationships and it's, and it's exposed or uh, whether it's marriages or professional lives or, or, or their school lives or a mistake that they've made or something like that. And that gets brought to the surface. Maybe it gets brought into my office and, and some people come into my office and we talk about it. We're working through it. And all of a sudden, I don't see that person anymore, right? They don't come back to church or anything more because now they're feeling some sort of guilt and it's attached to me. Like it gets landed on me. And I'm not God, y'all. You, can't, you, can, you can avoid me. But that feeling that you're feeling, that's, that's not me. In fact, I don't have any feelings on you. I'm way worse than you could possibly imagine. Not as bad as you think, but way worse than you can possibly imagine. And so we feel this way and we start avoiding the people that represent that sort of feeling. We run from God, we pull back. We're not gonna listen to God. We're not gonna do what he, you know that God has called you to do something to share with your neighbor or to, to go on mission or to be in vocational ministry. You know that, but you just start avoiding things, getting out of that, getting away from that. That's what he does here. And it's amazing that these people do, in verse 13, it says that after, in verse 13, they have already discovered that Jonah's to blame. They've already discovered that God is mad at Jonah and that there is this one real God who is mad at Jonah. And verse 13 says, and they rode harder towards the shore. How ridiculous is that? The almighty God of the universe is mad at your boat and you're thinking, maybe if we just row real hard, maybe if we just try a little harder, maybe we can do this a little better. Man, all the times in our lives, things are going bad. There's a storm in our life because we have done a dumb, because we are doing the stupid, because we are not listening to God, because we are not obeying what God has told us to do. And we just hunker down. We're gonna try it harder. Maybe if I just wait a little longer, maybe if I try this again, maybe if I cover this sin with this sin, instead of just confessing it and moving on and dealing with the consequences, we're just gonna hide it with something else. Maybe if I try, if I do this, if I work in my own stream, we're just gonna roll harder towards that shore. You cannot outpowerful the all-powerful. You cannot run from the presence of God. So why would you even try? It reminds me, does this remind anybody else of the story in, in the New Testament with Jesus? Remember that? Similar, there's two boats. There's a storm comes out of nowhere, scares everybody. Jonah's asleep in the bottom of this boat. Jesus is asleep on a cushion. It's one of my favorite notes in the whole Bible, it says. And Jesus was asleep on a cushion. There's no cushions on fishing boats. So it makes me think of this. It's like, uh, it's like they're all getting ready. They're getting in the boat. And they're like, do you have any tackle? Yeah, do you have any bait? Yeah, anybody got pistachios and beef jerky? Okay, perfect. And Jesus is like, I got my nap cushion. I'm about to take a nap on this on this ride. He's asleep on it. He wakes up. They're like, don't you care that we're about to die? Of course, Jesus cares. Jesus calms the sea, peace be still. And they look at him and go, who, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's almost like this question when you read that story, you go like, why would you fear the storm if you're walking with Jesus? How could you possibly fear that storm? Well, Jonah is similar, except for it's slightly different. Who do you think you're running from? Who do you think you're gonna out-strategize? You're gonna be stronger. You're gonna outlast God. Who do you think you're running from? God is all powerful. God is all present. That's what that storm reminds Jonah of. The storm, which seems like such a bad thing, the fish, which seems like such a bad situation, is actually, catch this, that storm, which was so scary and frightening, was actually God showing love towards Jonah. Sometimes that happens for us as well. This all brings us to this point. This all brings us to this idea 
that you know well. The idea that Jonah is thrown overboard, he's swallowed by the fish, and then chapter two is mostly Jonah praying. Now, we don't have time to unpack this, and you can, you can go uh, research it later. And truly, you can go on either side of this and it's not gonna affect your theology, but I believe that Jonah dies in the, in the fish. Now, because of flannel graphs and uh, Pinocchio, people think that, uh, that Jonah was alive down there. Like he had, he had a little, little table and a bench and there was a light, like a candle. He somehow got a candle down there and some, some fire. And, the, and he's, so he's just rocking back and forth with some little fish and like maybe a parrot or something like that. That's, uh, that's the imagery that we have in our minds. But I believe that he died, all right? I believe that he was in there for three days. He dies and before he dies, he prays this prayer. He prays this prayer and there's some oddities about the prayer. And so summary, before we transition to this, God has thrown at Jonah a mission and a purpose to go and tell people, which he does to all of us. And God has thrown a storm in order to get his attention to to humble him, to get him to obey, right? So God throws the good and the bad at Jonah. And so Jonah responds in chapter two in a way that I think is a good way to respond. Look at some of this, verse three. Verse three is a good way to start this, it says, when you threw me into the depths. In fact, let me just back up. I'm gonna read the prayer to you. It's not real long. Starting in verse two. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from the deep inside Sheol. Sheol was like this idea of, of far, far away, um, of the afterlife, that kind of thing. And you heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas and the current overcame me, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains and the earth gates shut behind me forever. He was dying. And then you raised my life from the pit. Lord, my God, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Verse eight, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faith for love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Like I said, a couple of oddities, a couple of things that don't make sense to me at first. Verse three, when you threw me into the depths. Now, why would Jonah say that? Who grabbed a hold of Jonah and threw him over that boat? The mariners, the, the sailors did. They threw him. So why is it that Jonah is blaming God in a prayer to God? Because Jonah realizes in this moment what a lot of us end up realizing when we go through storms in our lives, when we go through hardships in our lives, that your boss fired you, but God was working in those circumstances. That the relationship was hard and rocky and there was guilt on both sides of the equation, but God was working in those circumstances. That you, that you had a flat tire or that, that there was an unexpected expense or that, that you got to a circumstance in your job that you did not know what to do. All of these kind of things are happening and, and sometimes they're your own fault, sometimes they're somebody else's fault, but it doesn't really matter that God is always working in those circumstances. So if it was that the mariners picked him up and threw him over the boat, that's fine and that's good and that's how the story went. But he recognizes that in those moments that God was at work in those circumstances. That reminds me of Joseph. You remember when Joseph was talking to his brothers and he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now catch that, remember this. What the brothers did was evil. It was bad, it was horrible. It was, it was almost unforgivable. 
And yet Joseph looks at that and goes, yeah, but God was working in it. Praise be his name, right? So that, that's a, a thing that we need to remember. We need to recognize that God is working in our circumstances to bring us to a place that he wants us. In verse seven, there's another one there. He says in verse seven, I remembered you, Lord. I remembered the Lord in those moments, in that depths. I remembered the Lord. Now there's nothing in the story thus far that makes you think that Jonah doesn't know who God is. It's not like I, oh yeah, Yahweh. Verse one through four of chapter one, God is talking to him. And in verse, what is it, nine? Yeah, verse nine, he says to the sailors, he says, I am a Hebrew that worships the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. He knows who God is. So what is this prayer? What is this idea? Like, I remembered the Lord. I think one way we could say it is that he recognized God for who he is. See, Jonah knew all about God. But in this moment, in the depths and this despair, he recognized who God is. And there's a lot of us in this room, even right now, there's some of us who you know a ton about God. You can quote Bible verses. You know the stories. You know about Jesus. You can name some of the apostles. You can even find the books in the Bible really quick. You know how to do that. But there's a big difference in knowing about God and recognizing God for who he is, of knowing God. Jonah, in this moment, maybe for the first time or probably just again, he recognizes who God is. He remembered the Lord. He saw God working in his life through his bad and good circumstances, and he recognized God for who he is. And then verse 9, look at 8 and 9. It says, those who cherish worthless idols, yours might say vain idols, abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This whole talk about those, you know, like, like I was talking about a minute ago, who we hate, they, all those people out there, that's normal talk for Old Testament prophets. All of them out there, they're worshiping false idols, graven images, vanity. All of them out there are doing that. It was a common way for them to talk about the Assyrians or, or, or the people of Edom. These people who were idol worshipers or even the Jews who had fallen or strained from God and they worshiped on the high places and they worshiped these false idols, right? That's the way that they talked about them. But Jonah's not talking about pagans or about wayward Jews. Jonah is talking about himself. He says, I need to get rid of these idols in my life. And so what is the idol that Jonah was holding on to? What is the thing that he was worshiping instead of worshiping God? What was the thing that he was following instead of following God? Well, I guess we could study it out and maybe the Holy Spirit would, would give you a different nuance to the idol or something. But one thing that I see very clearly here is this inflated view of himself and this dehumanizing view of other people. He was holding on to that inflated view of himself based in his own accomplishments, based in his genealogy, based in what he does and who he is and how long he's done it. He was holding on to that little idol of himself being more important than somebody else. And so what he says finally at the end of that is, I will sacrifice that. I will finally let it go. And some of us in this room right now, or you're watching online and you really need to take a moment. You really need to take a moment and assess. Weigh it all out and see, have you seen God for who he is. Have you recognized God? I know you know his name. I know you celebrate his birthday. I know you celebrate his resurrection, but do you actually know God? Is he more than just 
the main character of all of history to you? Is he your Lord and is he your savior? Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? Have you seen, have you seen my friend? Have you seen that all the circumstances in your life are God working through those things to bring you to the point where you would trust him? Every bad thing and brokenness and hurt, all the times you felt alone, all the times you felt scared, all the times you did not know what to do. God was working in them, those circumstances, drawing you, pulling you, saying, you are my child, I love you. All of the good times, the wonderful times, the beautiful weather, the friendships and the love, all of that was showing you what it could be like, what it needs to be like, those circumstances. Have you recognized God for who he is? And have you finally let go of this, of this vain, inflated view of yourself that says you do not need God? You let go of that and sacrifice and trust God. Have you done that yet? If you haven't done that, you need to do that right now. You need to do that right now because he loves you. And so in all of this, I guess we go back to the question, what do we do with what God throws at us? The good and the bad. What do we do with what God throws at us? I would answer it this way. We throw away whatever it is that's keeping us from him. Whatever it is that God is throwing at us, he is trying to communicate. He is trying to get our attention. So you need to jettison, throw aside the other things. All of our lives, we pick up idols. From very young stages to, to today, we are picking up things like power and position, safety and security, influence and popularity. All those things are good. All of them, really, they're great. But we pick them up and we worship them. And it's time for you to let loose of those things and recognize that the storm that you get, went through, the storm you're in, the storm you're about to go through, is all God trying to let loose, trying to get you to let loose. Speaking of catch, um, we have this dog. Jackie has this dog, Landry. And I'll be honest with you, I am disliking the dog less, all right? I still don't like the dog, but here lately, he's not so bad, right? And so we'll go out there and we'll, we'll play uh, catch with this dog. And uh, the other night, I think it was last night or the night before, he was, he was playing football with the boys. And, uh, it was really, he, he got down in a little stance, you know? And every time too, it wasn't just one time, he'd just get down in a little stance and they'd be like, you ready, you ready? And uh, he'd go, and then they'd throw the ball and he would take off running, you know? It's just, it's really kind of cute and athletic. And uh, I, I, I'll play with him sometimes. I get a little tennis ball, you know? And I throw the ball and, and I'm pretty impressed with this dog. This is probably the most athletic dog that we, he catches in the air and all that kind of fun stuff that you want to do when you're playing catch with a dog. But, and you probably relate to this, it gets real frustrating, right? You're playing catch, but in order for catch to work, the person you're playing catch with needs to let loose of the ball, all right? And so I throw the ball and he go gets it and um, he'll jump around and he comes back like he's so proud, you know, and he comes, stands over by me and all this kind of stuff, but he won't put it down, you know? And you're trying to get him and he's walking off this way and through your legs and all this kind of stuff. You're trying to get that ball and you're like, Landry, give me the ball, right? And so it gets frustrating. It's not as fun because I want him to do all this stuff. I got some stuff for him to do. Run, play, sleep through the night, not get a heart disease. All right, so these are, these are all of my objectives. Well, he's just holding on to that ball. All of these verses I talked about a minute ago. Um, he's just holding on to that ball. And so I thought about it the other time that we were playing, this last time we were playing. Have you ever thought about it from the dog's point of view? You ever thought about this? Think about it for a second. You're outside enjoying this weather with your human. You love this person. And this one in particular is not terribly nice to you, but all of a sudden he wants to play with you. And so he throws and gives you a ball. And I love balls, right? All right? I'm going to run out there. I'm going to grab this ball. We're going to play this ball. He gave me this tennis ball. And so I run out, I grab the tennis ball and I grab the tennis ball and I come back to show him the tennis ball. And now he wants it back. 
And he wants to take this wall back. And then he starts wrestling with me. And then he starts to physically assault me so he can take back the ball. And he's saying a bunch of words, all this kind of stuff. He's huge. He's bigger than me and all this kind of stuff. But he gave me this ball, right? And now he wants it back. And so it makes sense to me now why he thinks I gave that to him. But you and I, right? The point was not to give him the ball. The point is to play the game because I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I want him to get all of his energy out. I want him to stay healthy, right? And I want him to sleep all the way through the night. These are the things that I want. And that's why I'm playing that game. The ball is not the point for me, but it is for him. It's the only point for him is the ball. We do that. We do that. God gives us these really great things like a great family and a church and a community. He gives you beauty and influence. He gave you intellect he gave you skills. He gave you all of these things. They're all good things. They're great things. And we run and we grab them and then we hold on to them. Like this is my precious. And after all, why shouldn't I keep it? You know, we hold on to these things. And the whole time, the whole purpose was God was giving you that so that you could let loose of that thing for the good of others and the glory of God. All of those great things he did give you and you should enjoy them. If you're popular, awesome. If you're beautiful and attractive, if you're strong, if you're influential, those are good things. If you have money, if you have skills, if you've got leadership, whatever that is, that's great. But God gave you that like a tennis ball so that you would bring it back, lay it at his feet for the good of others and the glory of God. Let's finish with this thought. Jonah. 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 Jonah's a great name. Y'all ever thought about that? It's a really cool name, but you don't hear a lot of people name their kids Jonah. I think it's a cool name. I think it sounds really neat. It's biblical and all that. It means dove. But it's not a name that we often call people. We don't, you know why? Because Jonah is not known as, a, as the prophet of the Lord. He's not known as obedient. He's not known as joyful. Jonah ends up getting defined as somebody that hated somebody else so much that he would not even tell him about God. Let's not get defined that way. Whatever it is that God gave you, you bring it back and you lay it at his feet for your good and their good and God's glory. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.